oftentimes doors aren't open, but after a storm, things that people have worked their entire lives for that they have most of their stock in here in the, in America, a lot of times our things are what we, what is actually our God. When all those things are gone and a bunch of believers show up at your house and they help you for two to three weeks, come from all over the country, don't ask you for a penny. People start to ask questions, and that's when that door is open for us to share the hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. Many Mid-South residents were awakened by tornado warning alarms as threatening weather approached our area early Saturday morning on January the 11th. Residents in neighboring North Mississippi felt the rage of the storm As a result of these tornadic conditions, Mississippi Governor Phil Bryant declared a state of emergency after 14 confirmed tornadoes did catastrophic damage in 27 counties. The storms cut a wide swath across the state, including damaging homes and property and knocking out power. Thankfully, in Mississippi, no deaths have been reported. However, two people suffered severe injuries after one of the tornadoes touched down in Amit County in southwest Mississippi, sending two men to the hospital. Damage was also reported north of Tupelo, where the Guntown First Baptist Church was destroyed, along with several homes. Chris Childs is the director for the disaster relief team, Eight Days of Hope. He joins us now to discuss the aftermath of this storm, where some 600 homes were damaged in DeSoto County, Mississippi alone. Chris, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Hey, it's good to be on here. Thank you. Where were you, Chris, 24 hours prior to the storm that swept Mississippi on January 11th? I was at our national headquarters in Pontotoc, uh, Mississippi, just outside of Tupelo, uh, watching everything on the news. I was uh, actually had my family at our headquarters. We have a large uh, storm shelter inside our uh, national headquarters there. So I, I had my whole family, three kids, wife, uh, everybody come to headquarters just to ride the storm out. And uh, we were lucky that you know, nothing really bad happened in our area, but uh, I was watching and I uh, knew we were going to deploy somewhere in the state. Well, Chris, you're called a rapid response team. Just how fast are your teams on the ground upon the aftermath of a devastating storm? Most of the time we're on the ground somewhere between 24 and uh, 72 hours. That's pretty quick. Yeah, we move pretty fast. That's anywhere in the country. Well, I mean, you also said that you were actually watching for the storm, so you realized there was some serious threat here. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, when you do what we do, disaster relief ministry, uh, I'm constantly watching storms, just trying to figure out where the Lord wants us to go next. So, um, yeah, it was scary, especially when your family's in the past. Oh, my goodness. Hey, Chris, tell me about this birth of Eight Days of Hope. What's this all about? Uh, Eight Days of Hope was a, was planned to be just a one-time trip to the Gulf Coast after Katrina to rebuild some homes. Uh, our founder and president, Steve Tiber, uh, was contacted by his dad, Steve uh, Steve Jr., who lives up in Buffalo. Uh, our founder is Steve Tiber III. His dad called him and said, hey, we need to help some folks. So they thought, hey, we'll go down, take 10, 20, 30 people with us to the Gulf and uh, help some folks after Katrina. And about 600 volunteers showed up. Uh, pretty unbelievable. Wow. They were not prepared for that, but the Lord prepared them. So what was meant to be a one-time trip to the Gulf Coast has turned into a pretty remarkable ministry. Uh, the Lord's hand is definitely in this. Um, 
We've expanded from rebuilds to rapid response, which we come in right after a storm, to uh, gut homes, remove trees, and uh, our big thing is to share the gospel. Amen. We know, Chris, the storm, obviously, especially devastating storms like we're talking about, when they do such horrific damage, that can just play such an emotional weight on the residents. Loss of life sometimes is involved, and definitely loss of property kind of puts you in an emotional tailspin. I remember when we were living on the island of Guam as missionaries, and we had these very powerful typhoons that would come through. And I remember one that came through one time, and by the grace of God that we were alive because the powerful storm— over 200-mile-an-hour winds were shaking our brick home, and water was coming through the cracks. And I remember waking up the next day and seeing just things just torn up and turned around. And you have to take a second look, you know, and think. It emotionally can really hit you hard. It does. And, and you know, that's why we feel the Lord has called us to this. If we would have came through some of these communities two weeks ago prior to this storm and just knocked on the door and said, hey, we want to share the love of Jesus with you. Oftentimes, doors aren't open, but after a storm, things that people have worked their entire lives for that they have most of their stock in, here in, the, in America, a lot of times our things are what we what is actually our God. When all those things are gone and a bunch of believers show up at your house and they help you for two to three weeks, come from all over the country, don't ask you for a penny people start to ask questions, and that's when that door is open for us to share the hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. Yes, it is. Well, you know, when Hurricane Harvey ripped through Houston, Texas, damaging 350,000 homes, costing $125 billion in damages, reported as one of the costliest U.S. natural disasters on record, you and your team were there. What were the results of that storm for you personally? I was uh, in Houston for three months. Uh, my wife, kids, we all uh, lived in the camper down there for three months, and we were able to uh, reach a 1,000 families. So a 1,000 families had volunteers, had strong Christian people in their home, helping them, sharing the gospel. And um, it was huge for, for that amount of people to be touched. Seeing that amount of devastation, Chris, that must have been heartbreaking for you. You know, We'd have a praise and worship service every morning and every evening. And it is crucial when you do what we do that you get filled back up. When you have people crying on your shoulder for weeks and then months, uh, it'll drain you. Yes, it will. But every night, we sing, we sing three songs every night. We're in a pretty good routine. Every, every night when we have praise and worship, I try to remind myself just focus on worshiping Him. Don't think about everything else going on. Just worship Him. Let the words fill me and let the Holy Spirit fill me back up so we can, you know, do it again tomorrow. Chris, that is such a good word. You know, debriefing from such heartache and such traumatized conditions that you're looking at and the people, as you mentioned, crying on your shoulders, it is important, you know, that you have that debriefing time. But to take your burden to the Lord and let Him carry it, let Him refuel you, as you said, to go back out and minister in His name, that's so powerful. Absolutely. And, you know, we invite the families that we're serving to come back with us and eat with us every night. So we'll have many of the families come. You know, their home is destroyed. They can come. They can sit, have fellowship, have a nice warm meal. And then while they're there, they hear God's Word. They hear worship music. Uh, it is a really cool way to bring the community together 
and have people come to church that don't normally come to church. Hey, I understand there's some ongoing plans to revisit the Houston area. Is there still a lot of needs there? There is a lot of need in Houston. Um, we did three rebuild trips there, and um, currently we don't have anything on the books to return there to do any rebuild trips. We are, however, um, building some safe houses for sex trade victims in that area. Wow. That's another arm of our ministry. Yeah, that's going to be another radio show for you and me. I want to talk about that sometime, if you don't mind. Yes, sir. I'd love to. What's the major goal of Eight Days of Hope here in North Mississippi? Man, our big goal here is to serve the local community. We want to serve the emergency managers. We want to serve the guys that are uh, volunteer firemen and career firemen that couldn't get to their homes to help their families because they were out serving those first responders. Uh, we want to serve this community in excellence and just bring honor and glory to him. We've already had salvations here, folks that this storm just opened their eyes. They couldn't understand why would God, why would God allow this to happen? That's an open door. We had, uh, had that happen several times since we've been here. And how, how do you answer that question, Chris? The way that I answer that question is oftentimes we see things as so important. God sees things completely different. If this storm brought a family back together, if this storm brought one person to him, it's worth it. We see so many times churches just completely changed because of a storm, because people are searching. Church attendance goes up dramatically after a storm. Uh, I really, truly believe he uses these storms to bring honor and glory to himself and to unite the Christian folks together after one cause, and that is to help folks and carry the gospel to them. Wow, that's so wonderful. What's the process of assessing the damage after a horrific storm like the one that moved through our area? What we do is as soon as we hit the ground, I meet with emergency management, and they usually give me an area. They'll show us on a map. This is where it was affected. I send teams of two. Uh, on this storm, we had three teams of two, and they go door to door through the areas that were affected, and uh, we have a simple form that they fill out. Uh, first thing they do when they meet with the families, they pray with them and just say, how can we help? And they'll walk through the home. If the shingles were blown off, they'll make notes to bring all, you know, bring back to headquarters. And uh, so we'll do all of that. And then, uh, then we prioritize. That can be tough, you know, when you're trying to figure out who's going to get help first. And the way that we prioritize is the number one is someone, there's no way they could take care of the damage on their own. Elderly, widows, uh, disabled. And then the level two would be someone who may not be able to take care of this without, uh, without assistance. And then a three would be you or I. A tree fell down in my yard. I would take care of it. You know, eventually I would be able to work it out if a tree fell on my house. But this is unique with us. A one could be we see a spiritual need. So it could be, man, they've got a beautiful home. They've got nice cars in their driveway, but it's obvious they don't know the Lord. Uh, we'll move them up to a one because that is what's important. It's not about doing the tree work. It's not about removing the trees. 
not about tarping the roofs. It's about taking people with us. So, yeah. So it's called Eight Days of Hope, all right? So you're only involved in an area for eight days? Surely that's not the case. That's not the case. The very first trip was eight days long. The uh, The first trip to the Gulf Coast was eight days. And uh, back then, Steve got some T-shirts made up that said Eight Days of Hope. And uh, when the ministry launched into more of a full-time uh, ministry, we tried to change the name, but it stuck. Everybody just knows us as Eight Days of Hope. So um, we'll be here two to three weeks. Yeah. Uh, right now, we've committed till the 31st, but we may extend one more week. I was wondering, too, you mentioned working with the emergency management services. Do you have to have particular credentials that they recognize you and allow you to work with them? Um, Eight Days of Hope has a name with all of the emergency managers. They know who we are. And uh, say somebody, a volunteer, wanted to come and work with us, we give you a yellow Eight Days of Hope T-shirt. And when you go to the area, they know that you're not there to loot. You're not there to take advantage of someone. You're there with Eight Days of Hope, and you're there to help. Yeah. What role do volunteers play in the overall scheme of your ministry? Uh, We are volunteer-based. We have five staff. Uh, We have 35,000 registered volunteers. Did you say 35,000? To be exact, we have (laughs) 35,234. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But that, that may have grown a little bit today. We had some new folks. Now, are there specific qualifications for volunteers? No. Well, 18 and up, that's it. Um, If you can run a chainsaw, we can use your help. If you can drag limbs, we can use your help. But don't miss this. If you're sitting at your house and you think, I'm not in physical shape to do that, I'm elderly, can you sit on the front porch with a family that just lost everything they have? Can you sit on the front porch and pray with them and hear their story? We can use you. If you can do laundry, we can use you. We have 80 people staying at the church right now we have folks that do their laundry we provide three meals a day so uh, we always need help on the cooking team um there are all kinds of ways you can serve and folks can just go to our website eightdaysofhope.com the first thing that's going to pop up is that we're here in mississippi and desoto county and uh you click on get involved or volunteer and fill out a form it's really easy well, as you mentioned, Chris, Longview Heights Baptist Church with Pastor Whit Lewis has become the playout center for relief efforts. What's the operation like on that location? What's the day-to-day there? We uh, Lights come on at 6 o'clock, and then we have breakfast all together at 6.30 in the fellowship hall. Then we'll have a praise song and a, a uh, message. One of our ambassadors or leaders of ours will share a message every morning. And then I'll give instructions for the day, quick orientation for anyone that's new. And then we divide up into teams. Each team has a crew leader who has been with us several times. They'll check out all the tools. We provide uh, safety glasses, uh, gloves, and anything else that you might need, water. The crews will pack a lunch here, and then they'll head out to a job site. When they get to the site, the first thing they do is we have the uh, homeowner family that we're serving, they'll come out and we'll circle up in their yard, hold hands and pray, and then we'll get to work. Uh, The crews will eat eat lunch around noon. They'll finish up around 4.30 or 5 and then come back here to the church. Um, We have all kinds of equipment. So we have a shower trailer here, individual stalls, nice hot water, warm inside so volunteers can shower. 
Um, then we have our meal together at 6 o'clock. And then at uh, 6.45, we have a full um, worship service, message, three songs. Um, I'll do the uh, announcements that evening. And then um, everybody kind of hangs out and fellowships. We have volunteers from 30 different states, so you get to meet a lot of cool people that uh, travel all over just sharing the good news. Wow, that's exciting. I understand, Chris, you were born in a little town called Beaver Dam, Virginia. Where did your interest in construction begin? I, I was really uh, rough growing up, um, drinking, got into drugs, and I'd always worked construction um, starting when I was in, when I was 16 on the weekends. Uh, it was the one thing I thought I was good at. Um, so that's how I got started in the construction. Moved my way up, started uh, building custom homes out on the coast in Virginia. And the um, best thing ever happened to me is my wife left me. It sounds crazy. My wife left me because of the drug and alcohol abuse. And um, through all of that, I met a gentleman named Charlie McKinney, who will be here on Tuesday, that led me to the Lord. Um, I lived in his garage for about eight months. He shared the gospel with me, shared scripture with me, and uh, Charlie took me on a mission trip, and it changed my life. Um, Soon after, my wife and I, through some counseling, got back together. She serves with me now. We have three beautiful kids. Um, And the Lord called me after coming to an Eight Days of Hope trip. Uh, I was driving back to Virginia, and the Lord spoke to me and said, this is what he created me for. And uh, walked away from my career in 2011, and I've been serving him ever since. Oh, what a wonderful testimony, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing that. How do the residents in the area where you're currently serving obtain help through Eight Days of Hope? Uh, there's there's two ways that they can receive help from us. One is they contact us directly. Um, they could do that through email. They just go to uh, rapidresponse at 8daysofhope.com. And the other way is through their emergency manager. So if they go to any volunteer fire department in the area and let them know, they'll connect them with the uh, EMA, and then they send us an email. Okay. Give us some details again for the volunteers that you're needing right now to help you in North Mississippi. Uh, As far as uh, volunteers helping us here locally, you can serve for one day. Best case scenario, you get here to Longview Heights Baptist Church around 6.30 for breakfast, but definitely by 7 before we break up into teams is the best. But let's just say that you work, you get off at 9 o'clock in the morning. If you come here, we will put you to work. We'll give you a nice yellow T-shirt that says Eight Days of Hope. Miss Glenda or Miss Ellie at the front desk will get you all signed in, and then they'll give you an address, and you'll go out and uh, serve with the team. And, Chris, how should volunteers contact you? The best way to contact us is through our website, 8daysofhope.com. Once they register, then they'll get another email back with all the FAQs, and it'll answer most of their questions. Do you provide training for volunteers? We provide chainsaw training for volunteers. Um, Everything else the job leader will do on site. Now, is 8 Days of Hope connected with the Billy Graham Association's Samaritan's Purse Rapid Response Team, or are you connected with them? We are not, but we work closely with them. Their leader here is Shannon. She's doing an awesome job. 
Uh, we talk daily. Uh, they've got about the same amount of properties assessed as we have. We work, uh, let's say that we have something break, I will call them and uh, they'll loan me one. And if uh, if they have something break, we'll loan them one. We uh, we love working together. Wow. We also work closely with the Baptist men. Uh, all three organizations are here serving together. And Chris, too, is Eight Days of Hope primarily constrained to the U.S. for disaster relief work, or do you go outside the U.S.? We are focused on the U.S., uh, but when the Lord tells us to do something internationally, we do. I was in the Bahamas right after Dorian went through there, uh, connected with some local pastors there. We sent uh, several shipping containers of goods and uh, put a well in so the locals there could have clean drinking water. So uh, we are focused in the U.S., but we do what the Lord tells us to do. Is there determining factors? Of course, you said the Lord tells you to do. What would determine for you taking a trip outside the U.S.? It's really prayer. Um, We don't have any kind of guidelines. We've decided that we don't want to be constrained by uh, something that's written down that this is our policy. Um, Our leader, Steve Tiber, is very open, and he is definitely a praying man. If the Lord tells him to do something, then uh, we move into action. Chris, you have spoken very passionately about reaching people and watching Christ free them from whatever is holding them back. That's actually a quote from your webpage of your bio. I took that alpha there, but I'd like for you to kind of expand on that more. I mean, you talked about your story, what was holding you back from Christ and living for him, and how that changed just revolutionized your entire life. Maybe there's someone listening right now is in that same spot. Talk to them a second about the things holding them back from Christ. Well, the, the reason that I started doing this is because I remember looking in the mirror when I was alone. My wife had left me. All of my friends were gone. And the drugs and the alcohol were just consuming me. I remember looking in the mirror at myself how empty how empty I was. And when I come to an area after a disaster and you see someone who just lost every everything, I see my face in their face, and I know how it feels. But I also remember a night in central Virginia in Charlie's driveway. After sharing scripture with me, he told me, you don't have to carry those chains anymore. Jesus Christ will carry them for you, and he'll set you free. And I I got on my hands and knees in his driveway, and I asked the Lord to take him, and he did. My. Chris, how soon after that did Nikki start being willing to work and see if the relationship could move forward again? Man, it probably took two months before um, she believed it. She had seen how rough I was for so long, and she just thought it was another one of my schemes. And, uh, man, it... That was a tough part of my life, but every morning when I woke up in that garage, I knew that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords loved me, and I had a purpose. And even though my wife and I weren't together, I still had joy. And the folks that have been through these storms can have that same joy, even though the things that they thought were so important are gone. A relationship with our Creator 
is worth far more than any anything we can have on this earth. Wow, Chris, that is such a great word, my dear brother. Chris Childs, the director for the Disaster Relief Team, Eight Days of Hope. We thank God for this team and all the efforts of volunteers working here in North Mississippi. 600 homes have been destroyed. Families' lives are trying to be put back together. And you, friend, can help Chris and their teams volunteer. Go to the website, 8daysofhope.com, 8daysofhope.com. Any other final instruction you might want to offer, Chris? Now, don't miss this opportunity if you're local. You know, oftentimes we'll be at church and we, uh, we're we singing, Send Me, Lord. Um, it's right here. The doors are blown wide open. If you go through these areas that were affected by this storm, the opportunity to share the gospel has come to you. So don't miss it. Um, we've got a lot of local folks here serving and we could use as much help as uh, as, out, as is out there. So don't miss the opportunity. Again, friend, the webpage, 8daysofhope.com. Please go there. Discover more about how you can volunteer and be usable in God's hand to minister to our neighbors. Chris Childs, God bless you, my dear brother. Thank you for what you, Nikki, and your family and your whole team is doing for Christ's kingdom. Thank you, sir. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I do appreciate you stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. I'm Byron Tyler, host of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thank you for not only listening to today's show, but for engaging the subject matter by checking out websites, attending events, volunteering, and help spreading the word about what you just heard. You can hear today's Mid-South Viewpoint and previous shows archived at our webpage, botradionetwork.com. Just look for the program title and look for the show date. This program can also be found on your favorite podcast app like iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. Let me also invite you to suggest guests for upcoming shows by sending me an email to btyler at botradionetwork.com. That's B-T-Y-L-E-R at bot, B-O-T-T, radionetwork.com. Stay tuned for more Good for the Soul Radio right here on Bot Radio Network, AM 640, FM 100.7, and FM 93.7 for Memphis and the Mid-South.